Thank you, James. Praise team, church, for the opportunity to be with you this morning. What a delight to uh, worship. My wife, June, is here. She's my chaufferette and brings me around to places to preach, and uh, I'm grateful to have her with me as well. Thank you uh, for the privilege of uh, being able to fill in this morning. I heard about the preacher that was coming to preach, and they weren't too sure about him, and so they uh, got up and said, well, he's uh, sort of just a fill-in, and he looked around, there had been a crack in the window, and they had put some uh, a pasteboard box uh, up against that hole in the window and said, well, he's sort of like that, uh, that uh, pasteboard box, just a filler. And um, after he preached, it was the evident that the Lord was on him. People got saved, people got right, the Lord moved, it was incredible. And so the guy who introduced him got back up and said, you know, he wasn't just a filler, he was a real pain. And so I hope not to be a real pain this morning, but to uh, share with you a word from the Lord. So let's look in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verses 30 through 32. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. More like Jesus. For those of us who know Him as our personal Lord and Savior, that is our desire, to be more like Jesus. And this uh, passage of Scripture talks about how we can do that. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these moments that we share. I ask that in this time, that Jesus and Jesus alone would be exalted. And we'll give You the honor and praise and glory for any results that come about from it as the work of the Holy Spirit is produced in our lives and our hearts that we'll leave different than we came all for your sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. This past week has been a very trying week. Seventeen people at the high school in Parkland, Florida, lost their lives because of a deranged, demonic killer. We know that lives were taken and shattered Others were wounded and injured, and it was a traumatic event. It was all over the news. The last couple of days, it's been about Billy Graham, 99 years of age, just short of his 100th birthday. They'd planned a big celebration, but he had a greater celebration this past week when he went home. And yet, uh, there's just something missing this morning, knowing that Billy Graham is no longer on this earth. And so we watch the news, we hear the news, and we observe all of these events and tragedies that take place, trying times, changes that take place, but perhaps your circumstance never gets any attention. The challenges that you face, there are all types of financial problems, broken relationships, health issues. This may will be two years that I had uh, a massive surgery. I had an aneurysm that was about to burst on, off my heart. And also I had an aortic valve that had to be replaced. 
And it was, um, it was a life or death situation that uh, the Lord was gracious. They did the surgery. They, they used uh, animal tissue for that uh, valve, a bovine. Uh, the only side effects that I have now is occasionally when I pass a hay field, I want to go out and graze a little bit. But, um, you know, we all have those kinds of challenges in life, whether it's a health issue or financial problems, broken relationships, but they never get the news, but they're real to you. And God loves you, and God cares about you, and you're important to Him. And especially as a child of God, He wants you to be more like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with it every day. I want to be more like Jesus, but I find myself more like Jim every day. Doing what I want to do instead of what he wants done. Pleasing myself rather than pleasing the Father. And yet we have a formula, I believe, right here in these, past, these verses of Scripture that helps us understand how we can be more like Jesus. In verses 17 through 24 in the preceding chapter there in chapter 4 verses 17 through 24 the apostle Paul talks to the Ephesian Christians and tells them that they're a new person there's the old man and there's the new man and in Romans chapter 7 if you read that passage of scripture you'll find that there's a an old nature and a new nature and they fight against one another one another and even though we're believers and we've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior there's the struggle that goes on in our lives to be more like Jesus. Verses 25 through 29 are examples of ways that we're changed when we come to Christ. That we don't lie anymore. Put away lying and start telling the truth. Don't be angry for anger's sake, but have only righteous indignation. Don't give place to the devil. If you've been a thief, don't be a thief anymore. These are life-transforming things that happen. And my testimony is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's an old, all the old, he's a new creature. All the old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And that new creation and new creature moment is at an instantaneous point in time in our lives that we can go back to as I can as a senior in high school calling upon the Lord to come into my life and save me. And that transformation took place. And old things began to go away and all things began to be new. But here I am almost a half century down that path. And I'm still seeking to be more like Jesus. Because the old man is still there, even though the new man is inside of me. So how can we be more like Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian Christians, here's how you can do it. Here's how you can progress every day being more like Jesus. And I want to be more like Jesus. So let's look. First of all is the companionship of the Spirit. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now that word grieve means to disappoint or to hurt or to... Uh, do damage to a relationship, to grieve someone. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that's mind-boggling. 
how that the God who stepped out on nothing, spoke into nothing, and caused the worlds to come into existence, that God lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as He lives inside of us, He enables us to honor the Father, to live for Jesus, and to be what God would have us to be. But, you know, we grieve Him from time to time. We disappoint Him from time to time. We hurt Him from time to time. The Holy Spirit is a person. John chapter 14, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit with a personal pronoun, a masculine personal pronoun, He. He is the one who will come. He is the one who will live inside of you. He is the one who will be beside you. He is called the Helper or the Comforter. The Helper, that word paraclete in the Greek language means one who comes alongside and helps. Now our burdens don't go away and our challenges don't go away, and even our sins are not eradicated when we come to Christ. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us through them. It's as if we were to carry this pulpit, and someone would get on the other side and assist me in carrying this pulpit. That person would be helping me. And when the trials of life come, and when the difficulties of life come, the Holy Spirit is there to come alongside of us and carry the other side of our burdens. So they're not just going away. They're not going to evaporate. Now sometimes God heals us. Sometimes God removes the circumstances that create difficulties and challenges in our lives. But most of the time, He's on the other side, carrying the load while we're carrying our load He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's our friend. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit commands. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas were set apart when the Holy Spirit said to send them out. The Holy Spirit has a will in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And the Holy Spirit dispenses according to that will the gifts according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. And on and on we're told that the Holy Spirit brings things to our understanding, illumines the Scriptures. The Bible is nothing more than black ink on white paper unless the Holy Spirit lives inside of us because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can the unsaved man understand or comprehend it. It is more than just an exercise in mental gymnastics of theological truths. It is a spiritual encounter because He, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. So not grieving Him means that we are sensitive to Him. That we're aware that He's with us. Now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but He has sent the Holy Spirit, His personal emissary, to live with us and in us. And we are to sense His presence and be sensitive about His presence. Notice the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Just turn back a page, at least it is in my Bible, to Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Now there is so much packed into those two verses, that's another sermon. And I'll spare you. But I will say this about those two verses. We who are saved are the purchased possession. Because you see, the Bible tells us that every person is a sinner. Adam brought sin into the world when he chose to go away from God. And God said that sin had to be paid for and the penalty on sin is death. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so Adam died physically, not instantaneously, but later. He's the one who brought physical death into the world but he, and, and many other tragedies. But he also died spiritually at that moment, separated from God. And every person who's had a human father has had Adam's nature. Jesus was born of a virgin, had a heavenly father and an earthly mother. But the rest of us have had an earthly father and the Adamic nature has been transmitted to us and our nature is to go away from God, not to go to God. We want to do what we want to do instead of what He wants done. And once we come to the place of mental capability and moral responsibility, we choose to do what we want to do instead of what God wants done and it makes us a sinner. Say that with me. Sinner. Say it again. Sinner. And we become sinners when we choose to do what we want to do instead of what God wants done. And the judgment of a holy God comes down upon us. And that judgment is that we deserve to go away from God forever and eternity. We call it hell, the lake of fire, separated a literal place of punishment forever and ever and ever. And that's what I deserve. But Jesus came. Aren't you glad? But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So on that cross, Jesus shed His blood and paid for our sins. We are the purchased possession. He paid for our sins. So our sins can be forgiven, covered by the blood, made right in the eyes of the Father. The Holy God is satisfied that the payment for our sin has been made. We're the purchased possession by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus resurrected the third day never to die again. Ascended into heaven and He's at the right hand of the Father. And anyone who would repent and believe, give your life to Jesus... And trust Him and Him alone to forgive you of your sins, to take you to heaven when you die, and to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit while here, you can be saved. You are the purchased possession. Now, have you ever had that kind of experience? Can you go back to that moment in your life where you gave your life to Jesus? It's what the Bible calls repentance. You turn from self and sin and turn to the Savior. Can you go back to that moment where you trusted Him and Him alone to forgive you of you? Not your good works, not being baptized, not joining a church, but trusting Jesus and Him alone to save you. That is what it means to be the purchased possession. And the Holy Spirit comes and He seals us to the day of redemption. Now that day of redemption is an ultimate moment of the resurrection of the human body. 
Now listen, salvation is in stages. We've been saved from the penalty of sin at the moment we receive Jesus. But we're being saved from the power of sin right now as we struggle through this life with our old sinful nature. But one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin when we get in heaven. One is justification, the other is sanctification, and eventually it'll be glorification. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, the Bible says that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption, and that is the resurrection of the physical body. So we can be sure that we have salvation. It's not a hope so, maybe so, think so. It is a no so that we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit is the one who guarantees it. So you don't have to get saved over and over and over again. If you've ever really been saved, then you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the companionship of the Spirit ought to give us confidence that we can be more like Jesus. But let's look at this second part in verse 31. The cleansing from sin. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness. The original word for bitterness there is... Is a, is a deep-seated animosity. It's holding a grudge. I saw a cartoon one time and it showed this guy holding this huge, grotesque-looking, funny character and said it gets heavy holding a grudge, doesn't it? Well, sometimes we hold grudges and that's what bitterness does. It wells up within us and causes us to have a deep, ingrained Anger and bitterness. Um, notice the word wrath. It is the Greek word thumos from which we get our word thermos. We have a thermos to keep our, our coffee hot. Maybe you have a Yeti. Well, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about uh, a boiling up, keeping it hot all the time. And eventually it, it boils over. And then there's anger. And this, of course, is... Uh, is a propensity, a, a, a continual um, burning within. And then clamor, that's loud speaking, anger that comes out. All three of these uh, words, bitter, wrath, and anger, are inside of us. But clamor is a word <clears throat> meaning loud speaking or, or, or yelling and screaming at one another. And then, of course, evil speaking. And the original word is blasphemia. And you know what that means, blasphemy. It means to speak hurtfully of. To hurt someone with the use of the tongue. Social media has now produced something called cyberbullying. And our kids are susceptible to it. And especially those that are in need of more love, seemingly get beat up electronically more. And there are cases after cases, and I was reviewing Ryan Halligan's life, 13 years of age, and through, through Facebook and Twitter and instant messaging and Instagram and all types of methods 
other kids constantly bombarded him and told him he was a homosexual or he was fat or he was not liked or, and on and on and on he was made fun of. Thirteen years of age, a wonderful young man who had great promise, hung himself in his parents' home. And while that might not ever be the eventual result of someone that has been involved with this evil speaking, there is the danger that we destroy people's lives with clamor and blasphemia. And it says also malice. That word malice is a, is a curious word to some extent because uh, it covers all manner of evil. We think of money being the root of all evil because the Scripture says that, but malice is an underlying character flaw. And remember now, we have Adam's nature. Every one of us has the ability to do any of the despicable things that you could ever imagine. That's our nature. These do-gooders and social engineers tell us that man is basically good. And given enough time and enough money, he'll be able to move forward and elevate himself. That's a theory of evolution. That's not true. Man is basically bad. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has the, has the potential of doing the most heinous things you could ever imagine. And that's where I am. That's who I am. But by the grace of God. And malice. Having the capability of all kinds of evil. But notice what it says in verse 31. Let these things be, be put away from you. Now how is that possible? Okay, once you get saved, you have the companionship of the Spirit. But after you're saved, there is a daily exercise of walking with God. And that is the cleansing from sin. And you know those verses if you've been a Christian very long. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in verse 7 it says, but if, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're made right in the eyes of the Father. Once for all forever when we accept Jesus as our Savior. That's a relationship that's established. But our fellowship is a different matter. A relationship. I was born into the family of James and Betty Richards. And that was a relationship that could not be changed. I was their son. That's my relationship. But I can assure you, and I know this will shock you, when I was growing up, there were times when I got out of fellowship with my parents. I did things that maybe didn't please them all the time and had to be corrected. And there were times I didn't want to see them because of what I had done. There's a difference between a relationship and fellowship. And so we must come back to the cross. Not to be saved again, but for cleansing from sin for fellowship. 
And if we want to be more like Jesus, then we just need to be a great confessor. Because we all are great sinners. Verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Now here is conforming to the image of Jesus. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. That word be is a continual action. It's not a once and done deal. It is a continual process of working to be conformed to the image of our Savior. Be kind. Kindness is doing good to those who don't deserve it. Tender-hearted is a compassion that so drives us. When Harvey hit the coast down there, I have a pastor friend in Louisiana who called me, and he said, where do I take all of this stuff? I've got an 18-wheeler, and I've got a, I'm driving my truck with a boat behind it, and I've got an 18-wheeler following me, and it's full of stuff, and we want to know where to go. Well, he had great compassion, but he didn't have a plan. He didn't know where he was going. And that, to me, was an, an example of being tenderhearted. He was so moved by compassion, he let his heart get out over his head. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Now John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God loved us so much that He gave His Son Jesus to die for us. It cost the Father His Son on the cross. But it costs us nothing to forgive one another. And you're never more like Jesus than when you forgive one another. I pastored a little country church 40 years ago. And there was a man in the church that had a great burden for souls. And I loved that man and he loved me. And what a joy it was to have him as a church member and leader in the church. There was a man he got burdened for that had been injured in a, in a car wreck. And he said, would you go with me to the hospital? I want you to witness to him. So we got to the intensive care and there Sam was lying in the intensive care with tubes all in him. And it was a, a terrible scene and I thought, surely this man won't live. And I went over to him and took his hand and I said, Sam, if you could hear me, squeeze my hand twice. And he squeezed my hand twice, so I thought, well, maybe he can comprehend. So I gave him the gospel, told him how to be saved. And I said, Sam, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your life and save you right now? Squeeze my hand two times. And he squeezed my hand two times. So I prayed a prayer, trusted that he prayed that prayer. Went out of that intensive care room knowing that Sam probably was not going to make it another day or two. But instead, over the next couple of weeks, he progressively got better. And in six weeks' time, I got a call from Sam saying that he was going to come to my church, that he was getting out of the hospital, that he had accepted Jesus, and he wanted to make it public and wanted me to baptize him. What a thrill that was. So I told my friend in the church all about it. He said, that's good, but that's bad. And I said, how is that bad? And he said, well, you know, George Earl... George Earl sits on the second row 
every Sunday. Well, George Earl, <clears throat> he, was, he was a rowdy character before he got right with the Lord. And he and Sam had a bar fight one time. And Sam almost killed George Earl. And George Earl said if he ever saw Sam again, he'd kill him. And I'm afraid what might happen when Sam comes to church. Well, sure enough, a few weeks later, Sam showed up at church. It was just about the time I was beginning my message. He walked in the back door and sat on the back row. And I looked and there was George Earl and his wife on the second row. I thought, my heavens, what's going to happen here? I finished my sermon and I can assure you I had every head bowed and every eye closed. And there Sam came down the aisle. I sat him on the front row, but I didn't stand him up. I, didn't, I just said, Sam's come today. He's accepted Jesus. He wants to be baptized. Everybody who's happy about this, say amen. Everybody said amen. I didn't ask for a negative vote. I was afraid George Earl would vote against him. I stood him up in front of the church, and as soon as I did, I had everybody stand by their head, close their eyes, and I called on someone to dismiss, and I beat it to the back door to get as far away from Sam as I could. Well, as you know, in customary, I don't know if you do it here, but old custom was everybody would come by and welcome the person who had made their profession of faith, and there was Sam, and the People came by and the line got shorter and shorter and I was standing at the back door looking in and there was George Earl. He was the last guy in line. I thought, is he going to pull a knife, a gun? What's he going to do? And he got up there and it was just he and Sam. And Sam was so full of Jesus and so glad to be alive and saved, he just stuck his hand out to George Earl. And George Earl just stood there and glared at him. Sam just kept smiling, kept his hand out. And then George Earl started crying. And he threw his arms around Sam. And he hugged his neck. And they loved one another right there at the front of the church. Forgiveness. All because of Jesus. And some of you need to forgive. Some of you need to put away. Some of you need a cleansing today because of the companionship of the Spirit. Some of you need to come to Jesus today. And it's your time to do it right now. Let's stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will liberate this time of response. And for those who need to be saved today, I pray that you'll give them the courage to step out and unashamedly identify with Jesus and say, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then I pray for those who are your children, all of us, who this morning have the companionship of the Spirit, who need a cleansing from sin, so that we can be conformed to the image of the Savior. Lord, do that work that only you can do. Bring glory to your name. And I ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we sing today, will you do what God has spoken to your heart about? And obey the Spirit of God as we sing.